Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Well, I hope you guys have had a good week. I have. It's been full. Um, I feel like I've added a third full-time job with this new building, by the way. <laughs> and I'm thankful for it. I'm, I'm not, um, I'm really grateful. It's just one of those things that feels so wonderful that the Lord has done for us. And uh, if you haven't been here, as I've talked about it, I want to give you a real brief update on what's going on with the building that really is, is our, in our possession. We purchased it uh, three weeks or so ago. And the Lord gave us an amazing deal on it, as I've even talked to other people and tenants that we have, they're shocked that uh, the Lord gave us this deal. Uh, we got it for $1.3 million, and it, it is uh, right now appraised at $4.5 million, and I think it will be appraised for a lot more than that once we get done with all of the, the work and more tenants are in there. We've almost doubled the tenants already that are coming in, so that's really, thank you, Lord, Yeah. And we're excited about that. We want to be involved with these businesses that are coming there and to help pastor them in a sense and, uh, and have a safe place. I think we want that place to thrive. We want the city to thrive and we get to play a small part with this. But let me give you just a few updates on that as you've generously given to make this happen. We, we took um, a good amount of the money. We had some saved and we've taken some of what we've given to do some updates on the property already on the outside. So we're doing the outside fixes before the inside. Um, so it will be more attractive for tenants, for one, for the community, and you know we can do some things uh, on our own as well uh, from volunteer standpoint. We'll talk about that in a second. But all the roof and parking lot repairs are complete. So that is those were two big things. The, the roof was leaking a lot everywhere, and that is that's completed. The patches are done. It's not a resurfaced parking lot, but we patched it, filled all the holes. Um, all that is finished. Parking lot lights have been replaced. It's got brand new lights. So I was in talking to some of the existing tenants. They were afraid at night because there was very little light in there. So all that's been done. Now it's illuminated in the evenings. Uh, the painting has begun. So that will has already started. You'll see in the next couple of weeks, it's going to look completely different. So it'll all get painted here in the next couple of weeks. That should be done. Uh, we took our first stab as a volunteer, several of you in here, uh, with me last weekend, last Saturday, to start working on some of the landscaping. These are some of the things that we can do. Uh, we yanked out all of the ugly shrubs. So you go by there and it looks, you just see dirt, which is still better looking than those shrubs that were there. So yanked out all of that. Uh, was so, so grateful for the volunteers that helped. Scott Couch was able to borrow large equipment. We had three big pieces of equipment out there and and uh, a lot of people with a lot of skill came and got all those out. We, got st we still have some work to do out there, but um, took a big step forward in getting all that cleaned up, and we trimmed the trees, and um, so it just, it, it really looks better. We're gonna, we have some more work days coming up. We'll actually, we'll have one this Saturday for some. We've had to move some of the dates that I told you originally. Some of that needs to shift. And so if you have an interest in participating in some of the landscaping stuff, we'll be, we need to cut some trees yet. We need to do some trimming, putting some mulch down, um, some fabric, landscape fabric, cleaning up. If you have interest in helping with that, there are sign-up sheets at the Welcome Center. 
Um, the dates will shift a little bit, but we will email you. Put your email on there, and we'll make sure we communicate with you. Some of, these, uh, some of that workday will be this Saturday, and then we'll do some after that as well. But there's some things we can do, and we want to knock that out as some volunteers and keep beautifying that place. We have a contract on one parcel of the land we've had for sale. So that has just got a portion, a portion of it has gone on a contract, which is actually a wonderful thing. We need that cash for the next loan, for the inside upfitting. So thank you, Lord, for that. We need to, let's pray that the rest of it sells um, and all the rest of the money, whatever we need. We don't know what we need yet for the next loan. And um, it looks like we, it wasn't looking like this, and now it is, that all six existing tenants are staying, and now we've got the new ones that are coming, adding in. So thank you, Lord, for that. I'd just like to ask for your help, too, um, for prayer, as well as, you know, just people that you know you may run into who are looking, maybe, or you feel like, man, it'd be great for them to be there. We have two spaces that would love, I'd love to get filled at this place. One of them is 8,400 square feet. It's a big space. We actually tried to rent it 10 years ago for this church. We tried to move in there, and they wouldn't rent to us, so we bought it, you know, so you just have to, so anyway, so it's kind of funny how that works, kind of full circle, but um, there's, it's 8,400 square feet. It was a gym. It was former Peaks Gym years ago, like over a decade ago, but it's got men's and women's bathrooms tiled. It's got saunas and a steam room. It'd be perfect for another gym type of use, but it could also work for a daycare could work for a small school, a large restaurant, different things. So if someone that you meet out there just in the course of life uh, that's looking for a place that's good size like that, have them talk to me or talk to Beth Johnson. Beth, where are you? So that you guys know who Beth is. She was on the announcements, and this is Beth Johnson. She is our new property manager for this as well. So we've done this in-house. We started a new company that's under awake. It's a for-profit company called Watermill Property. So it's the property management arm of this facility. But Awake owns it 100%. So it's interesting how we get to do that. The lawyers helped us do that. And um, so Beth will be helping with the property management. So we keep those things separate. But really good stuff going on. And thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your ongoing giving. And uh, we'll just it's just been fun to watch what the Lord is doing already. And I've got people coming to the land. I go out there. Uh, people in the neighborhood, they're stopping by, wondering what's going on here, and this looks so much better, and uh, we've been on TV a couple times, or at least once, and it's just interesting what the, what the Lord is doing, and, and, and I think is going to be, what we want is Him to get glory in every single thing we do in our lives, in every area, and we want our church to reflect Him as well, and so thanks for your prayers and support and all that. So, okay, I want to dive in a little bit here this morning. Uh, and talk to you about something separate from the building stuff. But just, you know, God has such a great love for every single one of us, as you know. But it's good to hear it again. He loves you so personally. If we ever forget that, we start getting off. We need to remember how much he loves me, how much he loves you every single day. And he has plans and purposes. Just like for these children we were praying for, he has a plan and a purpose for their lives. He has one for us. He has one for our lives here toward the end as he's preparing to return. And he's looking and watching and seeing who is doing whatever they're doing down here so that we can trust with whatever he has for us ahead. 
So this is, in one sense, a, a training ground. It's a testing ground. Not a tempting ground, but a testing ground. place for us to stay connected to the Lord. And as I've uh, been a believer, really since I was seven, in church my whole life, and in, now as a pastor over probably 23 years or so, I've watched a lot of people, and it's so heartbreaking, I've watched a lot of people drift from the Lord, get jaded, angry, angry at God, angry at the church, angry at people, angry at Christians, leave God and drift away and accept a whole lot of things that they shouldn't be accepting and living separate from the presence of the Lord. And boy, it's, one of the, it's actually one of the hardest things, and, and you have the same, you've experienced this as well, and the people that you know, it's one of the t- most difficult things as a believer to watch people do the opposite of what is life-giving. And uh, a part of what I feel as a pastor and having some level of responsibility for you is to constantly try to help you stay connected to Jesus. Because that is the answer, it's the solution. All along the way is us, every one of us, individually, yes, in a marriage, but more so even individually staying so connected, vitally connected to the person of Jesus every day. Because once that connection gets severed or shifted or broken, lots of problems happen. Lots of drifting takes place. And we want to stay connected to Jesus so vitally. And so I wanna talk a little bit about that connection today. Um, As we are on our own journey, from Adam and Eve all the way till the the end when Jesus returns. I'm hoping that when you got saved that it wasn't told to you or the feeling didn't hit you that this life of being a Christian would be like a carnival cruise. Because it's not. There might be some elements of it here and there, but it is not the easiest of lives, of living. The best path isn't always the easiest path. In fact, if you read Psalm 73, you see David complaining about some of this. He's saying, I'm seeing the wicked be at ease. Carnival cruise life. I'm just seeing them, there's no problem. They're wealthy. They've got plenty to eat. There's no problem. I don't understand this, God. Why am I going through these difficulties? Why am I persecuted? Uh, and, And David had Saul chasing after him for 10 years, throwing spears at him, and an army trying to kill him. So David could really speak to this. What's going on here? Here I am following you, and I've got all this difficulty surrounding my life. I don't understand that. I look at the wicked person, and sheesh, they got a maid. I don't get it. And then as you read toward the end of that chapter, the Lord kind of explains this to him and shows him what happens in the end for the wicked, and it's not good. But what happens in the end for the righteous, those who stay connected to Jesus, they, it's a eternal life with him. It's thriving forever. And so we can't um, make the mistake, I would say, of having a mindset that everything is just going to be easy or living to have that ease. Because if I'm living for ease or lack of difficulty or lack of struggle, what I will do is probably not embrace the moment 
I will probably be dissatisfied and I will have expectations that are unmet and I'm going to be unhappy in soul all along the way unless everything's going well. If I'm only doing well when everything's going well, I'm not doing well very often. Is that true? I need to be doing well regardless of what's going on. And that is the kind of life that Jesus has given to us to live even though it's hard. But he has given us something in the midst of the difficulty so that we can thrive and be full of joy all the time and not just waiting for the outward, the external situations to calm down and to be just smooth ocean-like glass, smooth sailing. In the midst of it, you find Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They're doing everything right. They're preaching. They're sharing the gospel. They're telling the truth. They're sharing the love of God. And what happens? They get grabbed. They get beaten with rods. That's what you get for doing the right thing. That's, they could have thought that. They're in prison, a dark, damp cell. They're chained but here is this wonderful thing. They had a hold of, this Christian life is not a carnival cruise. They had a hold of, we just got to suffer for Jesus' sake. And they started to rejoice in that place of darkness and dampness and chain and sore and bleeding and bruised. And they started to praise the Lord. The ground started shaking. The ground started shaking when you do the exact opposite of what you're in the midst of. When you praise instead of complain. We've got to have a culture of complaining that you and I live in right now. Do you realize that? We live within a culture of complainers. And we're supposed to be the exact opposite, have the exact opposite spirit. We are praising God, thankful in the midst of whatever's going on. Even if it's bad stuff going on. Let me thank God. Let me keep my eyes on him and thank him regardless of what's going on. I'm veering from what I plan to talk about. Okay. John chapter 14, verse six. One of the most mind-blowing, in my view, audacious, outrageous things that Jesus ever said was right here. It's also one of my favorite passages of all time. It's very, very brief. Jesus said of himself... Now, this separates Jesus, Christianity, which are simply followers of Jesus, from everything else on the planet. He does it right here. I am the way. Hello. I am the way. Imagine a person saying this. You can only say this if you're the son of God. I am the way. Means there's no other way. There's no other pathway that's right. It's not universalism. It's not every way gets to heaven. Nope. It's not Hinduism. It's not Buddhism. It's not Islam. It's nothing else. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the life. I am the life. If you want life, it's only found in me is what Jesus is saying. And then he says, and the truth. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the way. Bold statement, beautiful, so clarifying. Makes it easy. 
Now we know Jesus is all of those things. Then he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. No one gets to the Father any other way. You can't climb up another way. You can't come in a back door. Jesus is the way. This is part of the gospel. This is the good, glad, merry news that makes someone want to leap for joy. Some people aren't leaping for joy when they hear that Jesus is the only way because they want another way. They want my way or they want something else that sounds different, but sorry. Now, people will call you and I for saying this and reading this very narrow-minded. Yes, because Jesus said he's the way. And he's God, he made the world, he made you and I. He knows. He is the way. In fact, you know, the, the um, early believers of Jesus, before they were called Christians, they were known as people of the way. You can see that throughout the book of Acts. It six times talk, talks about this. Followers of the way. Belonging to the way is what they would say. Acts 9, I think, says, belonging to the way. And it came from Jesus saying it. This is who I am. I'm the way. Then in Hebrews 12, 2, the way, Jesus, says of him, fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on him who is the author and perfecter of your faith. Our eyes, whatever we are fixing our eyes on is what we're following. Whatever we're fixing our eyes on is what fills us. Whatever we fix our eyes on is what has our heart. It says here that you and I need to fix our eyes on the person of Jesus. We need to do that every day. That's not a one-time thing. That's not once a week. I need to every day fix my eyes on Jesus. If I don't do that, then I start going off track. Do you know that feeling? It's easy to get off track. It's easy. I mean, I was talking uh, or hear, heard someone here this week, and I know about this because I've been in this mess myself, but wow, there's so many things out there like special doctrines and little insights into maybe kingdom, maybe not, but called Christianity. And man, it's so easy to get your eyes on those things, and all of a sudden you feel special because you know about these things and other people don't know about it, and it suddenly becomes your gospel. It be, suddenly becomes a thing that you fix your eyes on and, you're, and you find yourself off track. You find yourself in a ditch. In fact, I wanna talk about ditches. On this path of life, which is Jesus, who is the way, there's a ditch on either side. And it's uh, hairy, scary in these ditches when you get off the path. The first ditch is the ditch of legalism. And it just, I mean, you find a lot of times those who meet Jesus, they get so excited, so full of zeal for him. Next thing you know is they find themselves often in this, same, in this ditch of legalism. Because they've got such a zeal, but then it goes from relationship to form and to law and to commandments and to um, lifestyle. And I found myself in that ditch myself. In my early 20s, I, had, I was dragging my left foot in that ditch. I was trying to look into Jesus sometimes, and then I was dragging my foot in these doctrines that I had that I felt like were so important that everybody should know. They were my pets, my pet doctrines. And it, it, was, it was legalism. 
It was definitely legalism. And I would preach these things. I was uh, speaking and preaching from around age 21. But it was a mix in those days for me. I hate that I did that. I just apologize to all those people. But I was dragging in this ditch of legalism. And part of legalism is, is this, though I'm sure many of you know this. And the Pharisees really personified this, what legalism is. And Jesus rebuked them severely. Matthew 23, he says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel on sea and land to make one proselyte, one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Words in red. <laughs> that was Jesus saying that. You could feel some anger, and rightly so, because they're leading people to something that's not him, something that's not God, to a form, to a religion, to a tradition that has no life in it, and then they beat the heck out of other people with this thing. Instead of leading them to God and to freedom, they're putting burdens on their shoulders of others. And Jesus, he hates that. He goes on, you snakes and vipers, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Other words in red. He's blasting them because this is so offensive and such an affront to the heart of God. It's legalism. Legalism is dangerous. If, if, if we're more concerned about what we wear or some sort of form or tradition of how we do something that's spiritual rather than our connection, that vital connection with Jesus, then we're in legalism. I've been in it. I hate it now. And then you've got the other ditch. By the way, let me say this too. Legalism is you're constantly comparing. Comparing yourself with yourself, comparing yourself to others, comparing others to yourself, comparing, comparing, comparing. Eyes not fixed on Jesus. Eyes fixed on comparison. That's legalism. We gotta get, if we find ourselves doing that, what we need to do is just say, Lord, and I've done this, forgive me. Wow, I recognize it. I own it. I've got some Pharisee junk in there. I don't want it. Change me, Holy Spirit. And he will. This, is, this life is about being changed from glory to glory, right? When you, when you see something ugly in yourself, we get to push it in the light and say, Jesus, change me. Holy Spirit, have your way in my heart. Rip that nasty mindset out of me. And he'll do it. He will change us. I, I love that. One of the things I just so appreciate about God is he doesn't leave us as we are. If we allow him, he will change us to what he wants us to be. He'll do that daily. He'll do that weekly. Okay, and then this other ditch. I'm gonna keep moving here. That other ditch of lawlessness. They're extreme opposites. You got the ditch of legalism, all about rules and comparing, and you better do it this way. If you don't, then you're not religious or you're not spiritual. And then you got Jesus and then you got the other ditch. And this other ditch is lawlessness, which Jesus really addressed legalism in this culture that he lived in. But then he prophesied in Matthew 24, Luke 21, you find it through Revelation, an emphasis at the end of days, the days that we're living in, not so much on legalism, but on lawlessness. 
That is one of the main things. We're gonna continue to see lawlessness rising and rising because it's the spirit of the age inspired by the enemy. You see this, this hatred and this lawlessness towards police. Part of that is that spirit of rebelling against anything that tells me what I shouldn't be doing or any lines or boundaries to live within. The spirit of the world, the enemy, he inspires people to not want to live with any, any, any boundaries, spiritual or natural. And it's a danger, and we're gonna, just, we're gonna continue to see it. But for us, we can't fix everybody. We can't fi- I can't fix anybody. I realize that, including my own children, right? I can't fix myself. What I can do is open up myself to the God who made me. He's the fixer, right? But what I can do is make sure that I am not living in that place and taking on mindsets, really strongholds, decept- and being deceived to believe lawless thoughts. Let me give you a couple. One of the things of this day, you could see it encroaching and getting larger, even in the church, is no boundaries related to sexual sexuality. Now, that's a huge problem because God established boundaries very clearly. It's just very simple. But lawlessness wants to remove all those boundaries. Everything's okay. It's all subjective to how I feel and what I think and how I think God should be. He would certainly be okay with this if he's loving. So, whew, that's lawlessness. It's rebellion which the Bible says is as the sin of witchcraft. It's rebellion. And so, but that's one of the other ditches. We can go in the legalism ditch. Some people, they're like skilled water skiers. They go from one ditch, there's Jesus, love you, and they're over in the lawlessness stuff. It's going all over the place, right? We don't want to be either one of those. We want to stay right here, focused on Jesus every day, Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, anyone, this is not just for the apostles, this is for every person on the planet, every breathing human. If you want to follow me, here's here's how you do it. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and come follow me. So there's this, this element of selfishness that has to die every day. I look at selfishness kind of like those trick candles you get give someone on their birthday. You light them, They blow them out, they come back to life and you laugh. Selfishness is the same way. You kill it today, guess what's gonna happen tomorrow morning? Whew, they're back to life. Ah, But Jesus told us that. He said, daily deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He knew this is the way this thing works. So I still have to do this, you have to do this. When I'm 95, I will still have to die to myself that day, every day, and live to him, fix my eyes on Jesus. You doing the same thing. When we do that, we will be fully alive. As we follow him and live for him, stay connected to him, have that vital connection, more connected to Jesus than the scriptures that point to him, more connected to Jesus than the knowledge that I have or the friends that I have or the spouse that I have or the children that I have or anything else. I have to be connected to Jesus. 
And as I do that, there are these great promises. For one, you'll not walk in darkness, John 8, 12, but you'll have the light of life. You're not gonna walk in deception. Do you know that you and I can live from here to the end of time without being deceived by the enemy, having that great deception and falling and being what the Bible talks about, even the elect falling away? How? By following Jesus every day. I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna trust that he's training me. He's dealing with things in my heart and life. I'm allowing him to do that. And as I follow him, I'm gonna have the light of life. My path's gonna be illuminated. I'm not gonna fall into deception. If there's a fear of falling into deception, we can break that fear today. You can be free of that. You don't have to be deceived at the end of days and be one of those that falls away. No, we can stay connected to him. He's gonna lead us all the way. He's a great, great father. He's gonna take us through. He's gonna protect you. He's gonna watch over you. You don't have to crash and burn. You don't have to be deceived. Isn't that great to know? I love that. John 8, 12, that's one that's written on my heart. Okay, so Jesus is the main thing. Paul had this concern, the same concern I have for you and I have for myself. Paul had for his followers. You hear me say this scripture many times. If you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard me quote this several times. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, two and three. Let me read this. For I betrothed you to one husband. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. That to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Again, Paul is saying his job is to connect his people to Jesus. And that's my job as well. As best I can as a staff here, and part of the reason that we exist as a church is to help best we can connect you to Jesus. I learned this uh, not even just by reading that, but by example, when I, the day I got married. The day I got married, I was, man, I'm so excited. I remember it was 26 years ago. Standing at the front, I'm waiting for my bride. She steps out, and she's in locked arms with her oldest brother, because her, her father had passed away. So her oldest brother is bringing her down the aisle. And my wife's so full of joy, if you know her, she's just uh, spontaneous and full of joy and loves people. And all the way down the aisle, she's... She's waving to everybody. I didn't know if she knew I was even in the room. But her brother, on the other hand, who's escorting her, exact opposite. He's focused on me. And he's got one job. Get her to me. He brought her down front. The pastor steps in. Who gives this woman? I do. He takes my hand. He puts it in her hand and then he backs away and he supports our relationship. And the Lord spoke to me. That wasn't just getting married. That's the job of every leader in the body of Christ, like the big brother. Our job is to lead people to Jesus, get his hand in their hand and then support that relationship, not come in between. I did not want her brother on our honeymoon. I wanted him to stay home, support us from afar, right? Church gets weird when pastors and leaders try to get too involved in your personal lives, right? Our job is to get you connected to Jesus, and then let me support that. Here's a scripture to encourage you. Support that relationship. 
and then you're gonna thrive, right? It's a great thing, okay. Colossians 1, 18, he who, excuse me, he is also head of the body, speaking of Jesus, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have what place? First place in everything. You know, Jesus wants first place in everything. Religious people have it all compartmentalized. Jesus is on Sunday. And then there's all the other things I want to do with my life. Jesus wants to have first place in every part of your life. Every part. Your work life, your home life, your inner life, your outer life, your workout life, your sexual life. He wants to have first place in everything, that everything I'm living for him, to him, he's in me. This isn't a compartmentalization. I'm not a religious person that fits Jesus into one part. No, he came to take over. He came to take over. He came to fully be involved in every part of who you are. Okay, let me mention something on the sexual thing. But I just said, because sometimes people go, whoa, what do you used to say? I mean, as a married person, one man, one woman, married, I invite God into our intimate relationship part as well. Why? Because he made us. This was his idea. <laughs> he came up with the whole concept. So he knows how this should be better than anything the world can fake. It's how God made it. So why exclude him from marriage and even the marriage bed? That makes zero sense. Why not say, God, help? May this be amazing. How do I help my partner? Lord, I want you, I want your presence in every part of my life, not just some. See, we can get so weird with Christianity and compartmentalization. Just, okay, God, uh, thank you for this food. And then we don't think about him. When he wants every, every part of our life. Paul said he's praying how often? Continually. Why? He's just saying, God, I need you to help here. I want your involvement here. What are you saying here? I'm doing this. Help. Constant leaning into Jesus. Fixing his eyes on Jesus. It's a beautiful way to live. Okay. And so there's this tension in life. Let me fix, or I'll... I'm not going to fix anything. I'm going to finish by sharing a few things related to living in tension because life is full of tension. Have you noticed that one yet? There's tension between things all the time. Relationally, there's tension a lot of times. There's tension of work life, family life, and then living in, in relationship with God. You've got all these things that you feel the pull. I feel the pull to this, and I feel the pull to that, and I feel the pull of... How do I live in this tension? Well, one way is to put Jesus first and look to him and fix your eyes on him all the time, regardless of whether it's work or family or your time with him, that you still are looking to, it just takes a second. It's not that you are constantly thinking about God, but it's that you are presenting and acknowledging him in all of your ways. Proverbs 3 says, right? Acknowledge him in all of your ways. Invite him into every part of your life. But you feel the tension of, how do I do all this? How do I, and you know, I've done this wrong as well. 
Uh, when I first went into ministry, I, I was working seven days a week. That was not healthy for my family. I was working seven days a week, nights, days, all the time. The need was great. The ministry I was a part of was a hard driving. And I wasn't the only one doing that. And man, my wife came to me and said, Matt, this has to change. We got to have a day. We have to have some family time. And I, was, I felt this pressure. I felt the tension of this has to get done. And so I had to make some adjustments there. But there's, there's tension. Sometimes we have to make adjustments in life and learn how to live in the midst of tension, yet make, make adjustments in living before the Lord. There's tension between living a dis- disciplined life spiritually and then having the freedom to go eat and have fun. You, you have all that. So there's, there's tension living there. Which, which do I do and when do I do it? And if, again, the religious ditch will pull you over into never having fun and never having freedom. And so if you're feeling that, you know, well, I'm, I'm in the wrong area. Because you know what? There's more talk in the Bible about rejoicing and basically partying than there is about fasting and being solemn. You find more celebration. The feasts that God gave us have to do with celebrating. Yes, there's fasting. We have to learn how to walk and live with both of these things. Being in a spiritual storm, there can be tension in that. Huge. I felt it. You felt it. When you're facing difficulty, you're doing the right things, and you feel like there's this storm coming against you. You feel, whether, whether you feel it or you just are in the middle of it, but it's like there's attack. There is this pressure. There's all kind of difficulty, and you're not sure what is going on, and you start thinking these kind of thoughts. What did I do wrong? Where have I sinned? Why doesn't God like me? What is, what's going on here? Why am I going through all this stuff? There's a tension to storms. Well, Ephesians 6 talks about that. It says to gird yourself with his armor, with the Lord's armor, right? From the head all the way to the feet. Faith, shield, all these things. Then it says, in the midst of whatever you're in, stand. Having done everything, stand. Having done everything, stand. That you don't start um, psychoanalyzing everything in your life that's going on. That doesn't go anywhere. Because we're following him, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. If we're doing something wrong, he will show us. But if you go digging around in your inner self trying to figure out what you're doing wrong, what you're going to do is start going in a spiral this way. And then fear, faith goes away. There's fear and then doubt and all this stuff. When you're in the midst of a storm, spiritual battle, whatever it is, stand firm. Trust him. Use your shield. Fight. Push through. And having done all that, keep standing. Spiritual warfare oftentimes is just remaining standing, not quitting, not going backwards, not giving up, not bailing. I have a good friend who had an experience with God that was unbelievable, but then he had all this pressure and I would say demonic presence coming against him, telling him he was homosexual. And he fought and he fought, 
And then one day, he just gave into it. And he told me, he said it was, this was too hard. He said, I know what's right, but it was much easier to just go this way. I just gave into this thing. He was that honest with me. It just broke my heart. But he was, he was being honest. Instead of standing, remaining standing with whatever was coming against him, he just put the shield down and just said, okay, I'll just, I'll just do that. I'm just going to believe that. I'm just going to go that way. And he did. Keep standing. Keep standing. Whatever comes at us, whatever lie, whatever accusation, whatever thought that's against truth, don't give up. Keep standing. There's a tension sometimes in families when family members and friends do the wrong thing. They choose the wrong way. They may leave the Lord, go a different direction. And then I've seen people who will just crumble because a family member is doing the wrong thing and living in sin. Now that is wrong. There's no way that you and I, our relationship vertically with God should be affected by someone else's sin. Even if it's a, if it's a family member. Yet I've heard many people say to me, yeah, but they did this and they did that. And so now I'm just going this way too. No, no, I'm not going to let the sin or the unmet expectations or the problems or what someone else has given into affect my relationship with Jesus? Why would I do that? No, I'm fixing my eyes on him. If you made a decision to, go, to do something wrong or to go a certain way, I'm going to pray for you and love you. I'm going to love you and pray for you. And then some more. But I'm not going to lose my faith because you made a bad decision. What? Does that make any sense to anybody? Why would you ever do that? Why would I ever do that? I don't want to. But there's tension there. Living in this tension between these kind of things. Watching, honestly, one of the toughest things as a pastor is to know when someone needs to do something and they don't do it and go the wrong way and you can't stop it. And you, you've, you've all experienced that with family members, with friends. It's hard, it's difficult. There's the tension of being generous and giving time and resource and going the extra mile, as the Bible says. And then there's the tension of being a good steward and not just giving to everyone who might be using it for the wrong thing or whatever. So there's tension there. How do I live in that? How do I walk in that? Well, again, fixing my eyes on Jesus. What's the Spirit say? What is the Lord leading me to do in this moment, in this time? He leads us and guides us. And then there's this tension too of, the Bible says, cease striving and know that I'm God, Psalm 46. It also says, therefore be diligent to enter into the rest of the Lord, Hebrews 4. And then you've got, the Bible seemingly contradicts itself, doesn't, but it seemingly sometimes. Isaiah 60, verse one. Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Get moving. Right, rest, know that the Lord is God. Arise, get up, what are you doing? Get moving. And then you got Daniel eleven thirty two, 32, where we get our motto. But the people who know their God will display strength and they'll take action. So you've got rest in the Lord, know that he is God, be still, and then get up, rise, shine, take action. Well, it's all those things. It's both. You got Jesus, he's slipping away, often, it says in Luke 5, to go be with his father, quiet. And then when he comes back, it's, hey guys, 
Let's go. It's both. But some, there's that tension sometimes of when do I stay? When do I rest? And then when do I go? When do I take action? Again, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, Romans 8. If you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God, the Spirit of God leads you. He will lead you as your eyes are fixed on Jesus. There's sometimes it's time to just rest. Sometimes it's time to really go. And your flesh is gonna to wanna to do the opposite of that. There's a battle in there, Galatians talks about, right? Okay, almost done. I don't play the guitar. There are four of them behind me. What I know is this, though. There are names for these. Capstan, string posts, and then bridge pins. I don't know which one is the other or which one is which, but one is on one end and one is on the other. The string ties to one post, and then at the end, you've got this thing you're cranking on it. Right? And then you get it to the right tension, and it creates a note. All of those strings are set like that on each one of these. If there were no tension, if I put the strings on, it would be loosey-goosey. And if I tried to play that, all you hear was, it would be nothing. The sound is almost, um, you just almost don't hear it. Because there's no tension between it. But you put the right tension on there, and all of a sudden, I mean, we just heard it. These guys are playing, and it makes beautiful noises, beautiful sounds, hits notes. It's part of the symphony. Well, here we are on earth. Ephesians 2, 6 says this, you and I are seated in heavenly places with Jesus, and yet we're here right now. Amen. We are on this post, and then the string is connected to that post in heaven. We're in both places at the same time. Paul said, I'm not sure what to do. It's, I'd rather be in heaven, but I need to be here with you because I help you. So he felt that tension. He felt the pull. But it is be, with those tensions in life, all of them that I just was talking about, where when we stay fixed on Jesus, he can play with our lives in the sense that a sound comes out of us that is a beautiful sound. So we're not to avoid tension. We're not to avoid it, but to live in it. You and I are called the light of the world. Light is good for dark places. Where there's light already, not a big deal. But where it's dark, that is where you thrive. That is where we are to live. All in the places that are dark, that aren't perfect yet, they're not perfected. We're in this kingdom that cannot be shaken, but guess what? It is here, it is still coming, and it is still come. I don't even understand that. But that's what the Bible says. The kingdom is this progressively growing kingdom. And there's, perfection isn't here yet, so we're in the tension of all this. Things that are wrong, government that's screwed up, ideas, culture that's all messed up. And then we've got this kingdom and we have light and Jesus who's perfect. There's a tension between those things. So we're here to live as light, following him, fixed on him, and then letting go with his sound in the midst of it. Not shying away from difficulty. Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you'll go through. Sometimes believers were surprised at the fiery ordeal 
and seemingly feel like God is distant from us when we should actually feel the opposite. That when the fiery ordeal comes, we go, oh yeah, I knew that was gonna come. And knowing God is with me, he's in me, he never leaves me, he never forsakes me. And then he gives us great peace in the midst of it. Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives you, do I give you? Don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The world cannot give peace, but you are meant to have it all the time. In fact, one of the ways I know I'm off is if peace leaves. If peace leaves you, then stop. Something needs to change. I need to get refocused on Jesus. Something needs to change. I need to probably stop what I'm doing. Maybe I need to change direction a little bit, but peace is a huge indicator. It's on my instrument panel about this big of my life. When the peace meter goes, whoop, what's going on? Let me ask the Lord. Let me see what's going on. But the world, they don't have that instrument on their panel. They don't have it. You don't know Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. One of the ways you know you're walking right is the peace that he gives, even in the midst of the tension. You can have tension, the string tight, and yet have peace. I say, you know, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm gonna stand right here in the midst of this. All right, is there anybody who is in the midst of a lot of tension right now? I wanna pray for you specially today. If you could stand, then we'll be done. If you don't mind standing, I just wanna pray for people that feel like you got tons of tension. Could be work-related, family-related, relationship-related, marriage-related, whatever it is. Why don't we, uh, if you don't mind, stretch out your hand toward these folks, or if you're close by and you can put a hand on their shoulder, Because right in the midst of tension today, the peace of Jesus is with you and for you. You're not alone. You're not alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So Lord, as family, we just surround these that feel tension in life, maybe greater maybe than they feel they can bear. But we can bear all things through you. You said when we are weak, your strength is perfected in us. When we are weak, your strength is perfected in us. I ask for wisdom and we ask for wisdom. We ask for your peace right now to invade them. And if there's an adjustment they need to make, Holy Spirit, that you'd show them what that adjustment is. Could be breaking off a relationship that's unhealthy. Could be changing something. Sometimes even the smallest change can be the right thing to do. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd show them. Give them courage to do whatever you're asking of them. And thank you that you, your weight, your burden is light and easy. So we ask for the Prince of Peace, Jesus, that you would invade their space, invade their heart, invade what's going on in their lives and set them free, set them free. May they rest good tonight, rest well tonight. May their dreams be fully alive. May they have that deep rest, sweet sleep and ask that you would help the situation, whatever it is. And help all of us, Lord, to stay fixed on you this week, next week, the rest of our lives, eyes on you always. I bless this church, this fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.